Dress, the History of Fashion, is a production of Dress Media. people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. Beep. Hello. You've reached April and Cassidy at Dress Podcast. We are currently out of the office in Paris, please leave us a message and we will get back to you as soon as possible. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we are actually in Paris uh, when this episode airs. Uh, we're recording it in advance, but um, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Yes, our fashion history nows are a little bit behind by like a week so you know they're mm-hmm. not immediate fashion history nows they will be more so in the future but you know we had to be ahead of the game while we are in paris making new content playing. for the future and also playing That's- on our fashion history <laughs> tour <laughs> so hopefully as this airs we are having an amazing time obviously doing um a ton of fabulous french parisian fashion history things that you will hear all about in july in an updated episode on an updated uh, Paris recap of the trips, because we are going to be running these trips more often now. So um, if you're interested in joining us, uh, you'll hear more about what we get up to in Paris and destinations beyond in the future. Yes, absolutely. Well, April, are you okay with me starting us off on our fashion history now? I would love that. Thank you very much. Well, have you noticed my beautiful scarf that I'm wearing? Yes, I can't see all the details on it, but it is turquoise. Um, turquoise it looks and like it's green. marbled. Yes, yeah. it is marbled. So I have to tell you all about this fabulous silk scarf that I bought for Paris after mm-hmm. I saw an Instagram video of this woman, Brittany Locke, at the Soft Asylum <gasps> making. You bought one of her scarves? Yes, I did because they are so affordable. It's amazing. It's a piece of art, dress listeners. It's marbled. She does marbled paper and silk. And she sent me the scarf and it's silk. It's hand rolled. And she sent me the sweetest message. And for our listeners who don't know, she tells us more about it in, in her little blur. But it says, Cassidy, thank you so much. I made the design on silk by floating paint on top of a liquid gel. I then drag different combs and tools through the bath to create intricate designs. Lastly, I dip a piece of silk into the bath to absorb the colorful pattern. So you've obviously seen her do this, April. Is it not I so have, cool? I have literally watched her stuff like multiple times over and over and over again because it's mind-blowing and I'm like this is this is amazing like just watching her make the patterns in and of itself is like a really cool process but then the fact that you actually get to own the thing after the fact it was I think $60 which for something that's hand it's a hand it's a silk scarf it's hand rolled and then hand dipped essentially in this unique pattern it's one of a kind I mean I was like I'm gonna keep this forever and I have to buy it and I'll probably buy more dress listeners you will obviously have to check out her account and you can find her 
at her email address, which is brittanylock.com, and that's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-L-O-C-K-E dot com, not her email address, her website, obviously. And But April got me thinking a little bit about the history of marbling, which I'm sure is something you're really familiar with at Spark in all of the wonderful texts that you have. Yes. So marbling was a technique that was often used for end papers and high-end books. Um, so that's that's like when you open the book and there's the cover and before you get to the title page, there's usually like a spread of like a different, not usually, but sometimes there's a different spread of paper right there that's de- like a decorative element. Um, and oftentimes marbling was used for those specific end papers. Yeah. And so I looked into a little bit more and it actually turns out it's an ancient art form, which I thought was really cool. And there's some disputes as to its origins, but we do know that marbling was practiced in Japan, for instance, as early Mm -hmm. as the 12th century. It's called suminagashi or ink floating. And Japan's often actually credited with its origin and development. And according to suminagashi.com, marbling became popular with the Japanese royal court before spreading to Persia, Turkey, the Ottoman Empire, in the 15th centuries, and it didn't reach Europe until the 17th century, where it became this prized profession that was protected by guilds who then, you know, guarded their marbling secrets closely. So it's just a really cool process. I've actually never seen it applied to textiles. And like mm-hmm. I said, check out BrittanyLock.com and get yourself one of these incredibly beautiful scarves with this wonderful history. So I saw her on Instagram. Does she have an Instagram handle that we want to promote? So you can also find her work at The Soft Asylum on Instagram. So that's The Soft Asylum, A-S-Y-L-U-M. So check it out and get yourselves one of these beautiful scarves. Yes. And even if you don't buy anything, just do yourself a favor, please, and go watch her work. It is (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Yeah, this is not an ad. This is just a personal endorsement for a very beautiful product and a very beautiful, now I know, historic process. Mm -hmm. Well, well, speaking of um, historic events, Cass, obviously we have talked very recently on the podcast about the Met Gala. Yes, of course. But today, I would like to talk to you. Have you heard about the Pet Gala? I have not heard about the Pet Gala. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're gonna right now. (laughs) The Met Gala obviously is a massive fundraising effort for the Costume Institute and the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City and has, um, you know, over the last few decades gone on to become one of the fashion events of the year. Um, But it's always held on the first Monday of May. This year it was May 1st, 2023. But here in New York City, we also had the Pet Gala which was held on May 22nd, 2023. And um, I want to tell you all about this. It's amazing. The Pet Gala is the brainchild of a pet couturier and also women's wear designer, Anthony Rubio. And he started many years ago, back like 10 years ago now, really back in 2013, recreating the Met Gala looks, but for pets. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And then he was just doing this kind of like as his own thing. And a photographer friend of his was like, oh, no, 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 no. We need to like start photographing all of this stuff and getting it out there. So this kind of bigger project was born. Uh, 
This year, however, so it was always kind of been on Instagram or kind of like, you know, like an image-based project, but this year was the first in-person pet gala. Uh, Rubio's two chihuahuas, Kimba and Bogie, served as models alongside a ton of other former rescue dogs and cats. So if you will bear with me, we can talk a little bit about who was wearing what. Um, (laughs) And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the man behind the pet gala and also um, why is, is why he's doing this basically. So yes, please share. Uh, just a, a quick rundown as to who was wearing what. Uh, Bogey the Chihuahua went as Bad Bunny, who was wearing a 20 foot long train by Jacques Mou look. Uh, Lala the Pomeranian went as Dua Lipa, who was wearing vintage Chanel. Darla the Pomeranian went as Cardi B in Changping Studio. Miley Joe the Chorky which I'm not exactly sure, was it Chihuahua Yorkie, perhaps? Um, went as Rihanna and Valentino. Bullying the Pomeranian went as Pedro Pascal and Valentino. Uh, Livy the Yorkie went as Selma Hayek and Gucci. Bagel the Sunglass Cat went as Doja Cat in Oscar de la Renta. Layla the Shishon. Um, so I'm not really sure. Shih Tzu Bichon kind of mix, perhaps, went as Neoma Campbell in Vintage Chanel. And our last but not least um, uh, pet of the night, went Kimba, which was one of the designer's own chihuahuas, went as Jared Leto, who went as Choupette. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, so the, these the little these little costumes are recreations of the celebrities' Met Gala looks, but for pets. So, um, who is this human doing this amazing project? Anthony Rubio. I just want to read a little bit from his CFDA page. So he is a pet couturier, but he's also like a women's wear designer as well. It says, with a formal education in women's wear design and 20 years of experience creating and innovating new concepts and techniques, Anthony Rubio had no reservations about delving into the world of pet fashions, earning himself the title of Master Pet Couturier. Anthony Rubio's canine couture is meticulously handcrafted by the designer utilizing the finest materials to produce one-of-a-kind creations for your four-legged family member, taking into full consideration comfort and safety above all. So, Wow. Right. And, and I, you might remember, Cass, a few years ago, I said that I wanted to have a petware designer on the show. So, <laughs> I think you found your I, petware designer. I think I did. And he's here in New York with me. So I I think I should reach out to him too. But um, just one little last thing about this, because I know know we have to move on. His entire reason for doing this or part of his entire reason for doing this is this aspect of what he does that isn't just design, but it's philanthropy. Because over the course of his um, career, it it has been reported in the press, he has raised about $4 million for animal causes. What? Yeah, wow. and he's also been honored by the Humane Society. So in his own words, he says, as an advocate for animal rescue and pet adoption, I have from the start used the platform afforded to me through my fashion design career to bring awareness to the plight of those who needed a voice to speak for them. When my Met Gala recreations became news, I decided that I wanted to create an event similar to the Met Gala to raise funds for animal rescue and who better to help me than actual 
rescues as models. So next year, he wants to make this even bigger um, in-person event and and raise even more money. Maybe so we can't you can be wait there to see reporting. what he's going to be up to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to be there, April. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> You're right. right do right. Uh, I first-person coverage, live coverage of the Pet Gala. I mean, it sounds like a prime <laughs> opportunity to me, so stay tuned for that, <laughs> trust listeners. <laughs> put that on the calendar for next year. That actually mm-hmm. really makes me think of one of my favorite Instagram accounts, which is Tika the Iggy. Do you follow her? Oh, no. T- tell me, tell me. I mean, she has something like 1.1 million followers. She's this beautiful Italian greyhound. I'm sure you've seen the Instagram reels of her because she's one of the most beloved and fashionable dogs on Instagram. She has something like 300 outfits, like high fashion outfits. And (laughs) I mean, she's just so fabulous. And so if you're not following her, check out Tika the Iggy because she is so fabulous. So is her family. That's actually a perfect transition to, I wanted to talk about Pride Month. Obviously, we're in the midst of Pride. Happy Yay. Pride. Um, because Tika has a younger dog sister, two human siblings, and two fabulous dads that are responsible for all of her amazing outfits. So definitely check that Instagram account out. As well as one of my favorite Instagram accounts, April, do you follow Matt Bernstein? No, I am I am learning so much today in our episode. <laughs> Me too. That's why we love these episodes. <laughs> we teach each other so much. So Matt Bernstein, their handle is Matt XIV, which maybe I'm assuming is Roman numerals. Maybe it's Matt 19. I'm not sure. But basically, his profile says, quote, friendly queer Jew with very long nails. He has these long, fabulous nails. And he's it's a really amazing account for many reasons. But one, because he's constantly calling out like the hypocrisy, the idiocracy of like anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ plus hate, um, anti, you know, all this awful legislation that we're seeing around the country for the past couple of years, but he does it in these really funny, but also poignant, incredibly well-researched and incredibly well-articulated posts. And he always brings the receipts. Mm. For instance, one of his most recent posts, he, he often responds to people's comments. So he like put this person on blast and the comment was, I'll be raising my son to go to the gym, not the fucking nail salon. Should I say fucking? Should I say beep? <laughs> You know what, Cass? We're independent now. If you want to say fucking, you can say fucking. <laughs> okay. Uh, so not the effing nail salon, LOL. <laughs> and so he then Matt responds. He puts this person on blast, and then he posts a picture of himself. He's very fit, very strong young person. And he simply asked, why not both? And then he proceeds right. to show himself working out with his incredibly long nails, like lifting barbells and all this stuff. But, you know, he's like constantly challenging gender stereotypes and the binary in this really like fun way. That's also just makes it, you know, it kind of puts on blast like how silly these these boxes we put people in are, if you really think mm-hmm. about it. But one of the reasons I'm bringing him up is because he does a lot of history related posts so uh, a couple different times, actually, he's kind of re- responded to this idea of the gender binary in fashion and this idea that, so he put someone else on blast. Their comment was, drag goes against traditional values, quote unquote. And he asked in one post, Whatever like, traditional yeah. values means. Well, exactly. I'm so over that. It's like this coded language for just hate. Yes. <laughs> yes. And also, but he so aptly points out, he asked, 
quote, what about when soldiers did it 100 years ago, right? And then he posts about U.S., British, and Canadian soldiers who performed in drag in World War I and World War II, because we know that the gender binary is a construct. And when we say gender binary, I mean what it means to be a man and a woman, right? So the meaning that we give to those definitions. And those definitions, as Matt often points out, have changed over time. So he recently did a post that pointed out just the stupidity of comments like this, like a comment like, God, I miss when men dress like men. And then he's like, takes people on a quick, quick trip throughout history, right? So I'm just going to read one of his posts. And it was like, okay, God, I miss when men dress like men. And he's like, okay, but when exactly, right? And then he goes back, <laughs> men dressing like men in the 90s. And he's got Will Smith in a crop top, Adam Sandler in a crop top, and little short shorts. Then he's like, men dressing like men in the 80s. Same thing, crop top and little short shorts. And these are football players. Carl Weathers, right? right. I think, is a football player, obviously an athlete. Uh, or looks like an athlete to me. Then he goes back to the 70s, men dressing like men, Elvis Presley in a full-on white jumpsuit. That's sparkly, right? He goes, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt wearing traditional boy clothes in 1884, who looks like a girl, right? Because you weren't breached in the 19th century and previous centuries, right? As a child, this is what we're talking about, just to point out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a whole breaching ceremony and a whole, and if you think about it, it's very practical, right? Because this is pre-snap era, right? So when you're changing nappies or diapers, like having boys and girls both in skirts is practical, but boys and girls dressed almost identical up until the 20th mm-hmm. century when it became huge marketing to differentiate between boys and girls. And we could do a whole episode on that. We've talked about it many times. He goes back to a portrait of boy wearing traditional boy clothes in 1760, black ribbon around the neck, green fitted bodice and green silk skirt, and goes on men dressing like men in the 1600s with the huge ruffled, you know, ruffs and all of the glitz and the glam. Because as we know, what it means to be a man and how it what it means to dress like a man has changed historically. So that's just a really and fun... And will continue to. And will continue to change. So this idea that you can somehow return or that somehow, you know, and it also harkens back to these comments that like trans people are somehow a trend or somehow new. And it's just like Matt's constantly pointing out that like, no, non-gender conforming people, trans people have always been here. And here's the resource. So follow that account if you have not already. Yes. And and I said earlier that I didn't follow that account, but now after you said that, I realized that I do. (laughs) Because I I saw that post and it was amazing. I was like, okay, do it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick note too, because it is Pride Month. And if you need more incredible uh, accounts to follow, make sure you're following Alok Vadminen, who is a past dress guest, um, one of the most important voices of our generation, gender nonconforming writer, performer, comedian, artist, fashion icon. They joined us. Oh, so incredibly smart. And just another one of those just incredibly well are like brings the receipts all the time and does it in a really, really fascinating um, way. And 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 with love, I have to say. And that was what I was just going to say. They came on and did a two-part episode with us a couple years ago. And the first part was about the history of anti-cross-dressing legislation 
Uh, and the second part was about the degender fashion movement, which is one of still to this day, one of the most beautiful episodes I've just ever been a part of because mm-hmm. that episode is so beautiful. And it just is this constant reminder. Alok uh, just talks about all the time how fashion is this self-love practice. And it's something mm-hmm. that we can all learn and abide by, learn from and abide by. So if you need a beautiful message, follow Alok for sure. And listen to that podcast. It was called yes. Degendering Fashion with the Loke Vadman in Past, Present, Future. Yes, yes, yes. Tune back in for that. Do we have any other Pride content we yes. want to mention? Yes. Thank you for the reminder. Sasha Velour mm-hmm. just published a fantastic new book called The Big Reveal, which is an illustrated manifesto of drag by RuPaul Drag Race winner Sasha Velour. And they write about, quote, this book is a quilt piecing together memoir, history, and theory into a loving portrait of an artist and an art. Within these pages, illustrated throughout with photos and original art, Sasha Velour illuminates drag as a unique form of expression with a rich history and a revolutionary spirit. I would love to have Sasha on the show. I think especially now, April 2, we've talked about it many times, we are long overdue a history of drag episode. So I think this would be a really great way to to correct that of course correct that so Sasha if you're listening expect to hear from me (laughs) (laughs) or if our listeners have any history of drag scholar recommendations please reach out as well because we would love to to hear about those recommendations yes and also too on the same tip and 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 what I'm about to say is not in its entirety about drag but um, at the end of this month we actually do have a two-part episode on the history of wigs. Oh, yes. Um, so stay tuned for that. That is coming your way soon. And of course, obviously, we talk about drag um, in that as well. So, yeah, I'm really excited um, for that episode. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives. But what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and 
think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. So you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, Dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Cass, I would like to tell you a little bit about how the other day my dream came true. Oh, go on. I have some fashion finds. Um, (laughs) So two different dreams came true for me recently. So first of all, we said at the beginning of this episode that we are going to be in Paris when this airs. Um, We are out of the office currently, but of course we are recording it in advance. And one of the things that I'm going to be getting up to in Paris is I'm going to the Grand Mass Ball at Versailles. Yes, so this you is are. not Fet Gallant. This is, is a different event. It's more of a contemporary kind of rave in the gardens at Versailles, but yet costume and masks are required for the entire event. <laughs> so I had spent the last couple months trying to figure out what I was going to wear and how I was going to make this happen. And, you know, obviously we're fashion historians like Cass and I have both, you know, personally examined actual 18th century gowns from the inside out. We know a lot about this silhouette. We know a lot about like what it should look like and all the elements that go into play. And I was like, okay, do I commission a dress from one of this amazing community of historical costumers who do everything historically accurate down to how it's made um, and spent a lot of money. And one day I will do this one day. I will do this. That is actually, uh, me is and not Haley, that day. yeah, that's actually me and Haley's <laughs> dream. As I've talked about on the show uh, is to get one of, you know, Cynthia, Cynthia red threaded's uh-huh. corsets and then build our own 18th century robot anglaise on top of it. But again, those are one of those dreams. You've heard us talk about it many times on the show. Yeah. Uh, maybe one day you'll actually hear that it came to fruition, but anyways, go on. So I, I just didn't have the turnaround time. I, I wasn't prepared just to outlay that amount of funds at this moment to, to do this thing. So I started searching around for like a different option and I found the most amazing maker on Etsy their Etsy store is called Mini Donuts, D-O-N-U-T-S, and they specialize in making what I would consider on the more affordable side for the amount of quality that you get, 18th century recreations. Wow. So I purchased and had made for me a Robo La Française, and it's silk, and it you know, for a few hundred dollars, I could not be more thrilled with the quality. Like, you know, I was, I was worried about like having to wear a corset and like all this stuff and the layering and the fit and it is spectacular. So, um, again, not an ad, just literally (laughs) as a fashion historian, if you want to spend three or $400 on an 18th century gown, 
I can't say enough great things about what they did. And even for my gown on the stomacher, um, it has bows, um, which is like a, a, they descend in order of size. It's called a shell, whatever. That's a big dorky thing. But they even sent me alternate colors of a shell to snap onto the front of the dress. Wow. Um, so I'm just saying it comes with panniers. It's silk. If, if you're looking to spend like three, $400 on a really incredible, you know, maybe not entirely historically accurate gown for a party, that's it. Check them out. I, I will be ordering from them again. I want a day look as well, in addition to my evening look. So Yes. And of course, obviously, you're going to post pictures about this. You're going to tell us all about this event maybe a little bit about this event, uh, when it happens, after it happens, and hopefully I'll join you there someday. The Fet Gallant actually just happened as Christine, who was a past dress guest at Sostein on Instagram, was just there with a bunch of other fashion history, uh, fashion history costumers that I follow. And Mm -hmm. it's just so fun and amazing. And what a magical experience to be at Versailles in historical costuming. I mean, I think you can really be transported back to the period in your case with dance music, but I can't wait to hear all about it. So you're probably not going to like get me to stop talking about it after it happens. So, (laughs) but I do have one other fashion find that I would like to mention briefly that has nothing to do with the 18th century. It has everything to do with Brooklyn. Um, I am a huge vintage shopper. Um, I pretty much only wear vintage now. My personal favorite vintage store in all of New York City is Beacon's Closet in Bushwick. There are many locations of Beacon's Closet all over the city, but the one in Bushwick nails it, knocks it out of the park every time. Um, I'm always like so surprised by what is actually there. So one of my fashion fantasies is that one day I will walk into Beacon's Closet and I will find on the rack, because nobody knows what it is, either Claire McArdle or Bonnie Cash. And it happened. Wow. Last week. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like minding my own business. Okay. Well, I wasn't minding my own business. I was shopping. But um how I work in vintage stores is if I see a fabric that looks amazing or like a high quality fabric, I'll investigate that garment more. So I saw this really beautiful, bright lemon, beautiful textile and um, like on a sleeve. And I was like, Oh, interesting. What's that? And you know, like when you're in the vintage store and you like, you push the stuff back to like, look at that thing. The first thing in front of my face was the Bonnie cash and label. Oh wow. And I literally screamed out loud in the store, um, <laughs> probably scared a few people, but long story short, I basically acquired for the paltry sum of $40, the most amazing Bonnie cash and bright yellow raincoat that is lined in like white and cream gingham on the inside. So you can roll the sleeves up and, and it's fully lined and like the reveres like fold back and it has like little pearl buttons on it too, little pearl snaps. Amazing. Um, so anyway, I'm just saying like sometimes your fashion history dreams do come true at the vintage store. That's all. Oh yeah. I'm a huge vintage shopper. I have a savers, which I don't know how many dress listeners have savers in their hometowns. Um, but I have one that's like two, two minutes away from my doorstep. So I go there multiple times a week, especially with my mother who loves buying Leo, uh, secondhand clothes from there. And then I'm always there. I mean, you've gotten stuff from savers too, right? April, because I've send you, send you caftans or beaded 
hand beaded mm-hmm. jackets that I find. I mean, there's just so many wonderful things because that's what I love about thrifting is it's such an individual experience. Everybody in that store is going there for different reasons and you can find what you're looking for in theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not- I mean, I was, I, I was shopping there yesterday at begins again, after the fact last week, um, with, with a friend and like, we we found like Balmain pants. We found YSL pants from the 1970s. Like it's yeah, especially um, in New York. I'm like you have so many more like high fashion things that probably show up in your thrift stores. But here you can find. I've found like 1930s silk dresses at Savers, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people don't necessarily know what they are or what period. And my mom's constantly asking me like, "Is this vintage? How do you know if it's vintage?" You know, and there's lots of little tips, right? One of them, the easiest ways to know, especially is looking at the zipper. Like if you have yep. a metal zipper, that's a pretty good sign that that's a pretty old garment, right? At least dating back to the seventies, if not earlier, because they started Mm -hmm. using plastic zippers. I don't know exactly when. Um, Also the tag, right. And looking at where it's made. Uh, A lot of things were made in the U S up until the Mm nineties. And uh, Hong Kong is another popular, like historic uh, location for made garments. And then of course, material, right. Looking at the different materials, once you really learn to tell some the difference between silk and say polyester, et cetera. And then also looking at the seams, are they surged or are they sewn? How are they finished? Uh, are they, mm-hmm. you know, do they have the surging on the end or are they kind of sewn and then folded back? But lots of little tricks and tips. Yes, 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 yes. yes. So uh, also too, you know, um, uh, we're, we have mentioned that we're going to be in Paris. We should also probably mention that we are going to be in New York later this year, running some fashion history tours. Um, not sure if we're going to include vintage shopping on that yet, but it is something that Cass and I have been talking about. So um, if you guys are interested at all in like not just coming to New York, but also perhaps vintage shopping trips in general, let us know. We would love to hear from you because we do plan to expand our offerings of trips, tours. And um, I'm always down to go vintage shopping, especially with you guys. So (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Please let us know if that's something you're you're interested in. You can always DM us on Instagram or email us at our our new email address, which is hello at dressedhistory.com. So, okay, April, I'm going to tell you about this amazing museum that you may or may not know about uh, that is certainly, I've been aware of it for a while. I just never knew how dedicated they were to fashion-related exhibitions. The Asian Civilizations Museum in Singapore. Are you familiar with that Hmm. museum? I have heard of it, but I didn't realize that they had a like a fashion and or textile collection. Yeah, and I've been in talks with their curator, Jackie Jung, for a while now, and she was supposed to come on the show, you know, COVID, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I definitely will re, you know, open hopefully, hopefully that conversation. I'd love to have her on, but they have four fashion and dress related exhibitions on right now. Which is, yeah, they clearly understand the power and importance of dress and adornment. So they have two permanent spaces. One is a permanent jewelry gallery. The Marion Filbert Jen Gallery is the first permanent gallery in the world to spotlight island Southeast Asian jewelry. And it exhibits its varied and complex styles, forms, and uses through a showcase of artifacts from the Neolithic period to the 20th century. Wow. 
Then there's another permanent uh, fashion and textile gallery that I'm going to tell you about. But first, I wanted to tell you about uh, one of their current exhibitions is Textile Masters to the World. The Global Desire for Indian Cloth is currently on view, and that spotlights the historic global impact of textile production in India and its role as evidence of trade and cultural exchange between India and regions such as the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and Europe from the 14th to 19th centuries. And then, as I just said, they have another permanent fashion and textile gallery that explores Asian histories, cultures, and identities through textiles and fashion with periodically rotating displays. So since 2021, an exhibition called Fashionable in Asia is, has been on view. And this exhibit reflects, quote, the way Asian identities and cross-cultural exchanges are revealed through dress. And what's really cool about that gallery is they have virtual galleries, right? So if you miss an exhibition, mm. you can go online and you can check out the past exhibition entitled Fashion Revolution um, that that ha has since gone down, but you can find it all on their virtual galleries. And then their fourth exhibition is Andrew Jin fashioning Singapore and the world. And that traces the fashion journey of Andrew Jin, who's one of Singapore's most prolific designers. And it's a celebration of this major gift that he gave to the museum. And have you actually heard of Andrew Jin? I have never. This is a new designer for me. I do not know of this human. Yeah. And he actually, he works out of Paris. So his ateliers in Paris. So in many ways, this is considered like a homecoming, Andrew's homecoming. They keep talking about it a lot in the kind of those terms uh, and quote, this is ACM's largest show celebrating a contemporary Singapore fashion designer through five sections and over 100 representative works. This extraordinary retrospective ex exhibition explores Jen's roots in Asia cross-cultural expressions of Asian and Western art and celebrates his distinctive aesthetic craftsmanship and global impact. And so obviously we love talking about fashion on the show. We talked about the incredible craftsmanship on view in the Karl Lagerfeld exhibition. And this exhibition is no exception in terms of how Andrew and his atelier creates this metic these meticulously crafted, designed, thoughtful pieces uh, a lot of his inspirations display a convergence of Asian and Western influences. He finds inspirations in things like porcelain, textiles, batik. He's inspired by nature. And there's just this exceptional craftsmanship and artistry. And he's not an haute couture designer, but he does ready-to-wear that's considered demi-couture. So, you know, not necessarily made to order, but still privil privileges this really high level of craftsmanship and attention to detail. And a lot of those elements like designing the fabrics, the embroideries, the buttons and trimmings are actually in-house at his salon. Mm. And there's uh, like the Karl Lagerfeld exhibit. There's um, actually, I don't know if they have a replica of Karl's office in the exhibit, do they? Or is it just his it's desk? It's just a desk. Okay. It's just a desk. Yeah. So there's a replica of Jen's Atelier in Paris in the exhibit. And then, April, you are going to love this part because this is the future of museum exhibitions for sure. One of the coolest parts, this exhibition introduces something they're calling fashion try-on, which is mm. an interactive multimedia experience. So they use something called RFID technology, and mm -hmm. you put it on your wrist, from what I've seen, and visitors go around and they collect House of Andrew Jen signature motifs, such as the butterfly and coral throughout the exhibit. And at the end of your journey, 
quote, Motifs collected can be used to create personalized outfits that visitors can model at multimedia augmented reality kiosks situated at the Contemporary <laughs> Gallery. And then you can keep these self-designed outfits through printed and digital photographs. So there's like these mirrored reality, augmented reality stations that you can then try on these clothes. So I just thought that was so cool. And again, of course, bringing museums into the 21st century, how do you appeal to young people who are so invested in technology? This is one of those really cool ways. So if you happen to be in Singapore, definitely get on over to this incredible museum, Asian Civilizations Museum in Singapore. And this specific Andrew Jen exhibit is open until September. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or also, how about this? Asian Civilizations Museum, why don't you have Dressed Podcast come visit you? <laughs> yes, we're always looking for different tour stops, too. So if you're interested in going to Singapore, dress listeners, let us know. Oh, yes. something else I wanted to tell you that's really cool about the museum is they have a shipwreck section. Ooh. And nearly 1,100 years ago, an Arab ship bearing precious cargo set sail from the port of Canton, just off the shores of Sumatra. The ship sank and remained untouched until it was discovered by chance in 1998. So it's called the Tang Shipwreck. And the ship measured about 18 meters long, was made of timber sewn together, which I thought was really cool, and is a typical construction method of vessels from the Persian Gulf. And they have the Tang Shipwreck collection at this museum. So such a cool museum. I really want to go there. Just putting okay, that out so there. this parlays directly into the thing that I want to talk about <laughs> next because we've been talking about trade and cross-cultural exchange. Friends, it's it's time for one of my favorite segments of dress called Fun with Fashion Etymology. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, you all know that by now that I am obsessed with words and fashion words. We've done really kind of cute episodes in the past about like obscure fashion terminology. But this week, while preparing, uh, or last week actually, but while preparing for um, um, upcoming episodes, I learned the origin of the term sequin. And I think this is really, really fascinating. Wow. Um, so the first recorded use of the term sequin happened in the 16th century, somewhere around 1575 to 1585. And apparently the word in and of itself is kind of like a mashup of cross-cultural exchange. Um, It originally is like of the Italian word zecchino um, and also the Arabic word zecca. So zucchino and zecca became sequin. Um, And Originally, both of these terms in Italian and Arabic referred to a coin, like a little disc. And so that makes perfect sense as to why then it would in turn become sequin. So zucchino, zecca, sicca, sequin. Okay. That just sent me down the rabbit hole even further, (laughs) obviously. And we've done a whole episode on glitter, as I'm sure many of our listeners are aware. You know that's what I'm going to talk about next. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) One of our most popular episodes. Yeah, that's where my brain went. I'm like, wait, okay, so that's the origin of sequin. What's the origin of glitter? Which is apparently an even older term. First recorded in 
1300 to 1350, so the 14th century, um, Middle English term from Old Norse, glitra would be the Old Norse term. Um, and then also in Old English, it was glitinon. And then in German, it was glisten. And all three of these terms were uh, used to convey to shine, to glitter, um, which, of course, I was like, okay, what is glitter? Glitter is sparkly. And I'm like, okay, we have, now we have to look up sparkle. Even older. <laughs> 12th century, 1150 to 1200, Middle English, originally both a noun and a verb, sparkle. It, it was kind of pronounced the same, maybe a little bit different, like, you know, tone or inflection there, but um, to spark or to sparkle um, was, it dates all the way back to, you know, the 12th century. Wow. So anyway, that was just my little baby um, foray into fashion etymology this week. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, we've done so many episodes diving into like the incredible, incredibly complex, fascinating history of words, right? Like I did a two-part dude episode. You've done an episode on the history of seersucker and mm -hmm. also things like silhouette and leotard, Mary Janes. We, we love doing this. So if there's any word yeah. that has a fabulous history that you'd like us to do an episode on, let us know because... As you know, we love to do it. You also had a really fun episode where we did like fashion A to Z and went through all of those obscure random words that a lot of people might not have heard of. So yeah, yeah we that love was, words. That was really just indulging my own fascination, I will admit. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 it ended up being like a fun and cute episode. Oh yeah, so, so fun. Just as this little segment was as well. So thank you for sharing. Yes. Does that done? And I think that we... We're going to wrap it up yes for the yes. day cool all right dress listeners if you would like to get in touch with us and submit your requests for fashion etymology episodes or future episodes in general you can always email us at our new email address which is hello at dresshistory.com um, and of course we have our associated website now which is dresshistory.com you can also DM us on Instagram. As always, nothing has changed on that platform. It's at dressed underscore podcast. And we are on Facebook at dressed podcast without the underscore. And if you want to take a moment and take the time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we always appreciate your support. More dress coming your way on Tuesday. Dress the history of fashion is a production of dressed media. Dressed media.